Welcome to the ECA podcast. We discuss the biggest issues in the electrotechnical sector with the industry's leading voices. We encourage you to join the conversation. Send your comments and ideas to podcast at eca.co.uk and help us bring excellence in electrotechnical and engineering services to you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the ECA podcast. The electrical engineering and construction sectors are historically among the least diverse in UK industry. The UK construction industry also has one of the highest suicide rates, more than three times the national average for men. In this episode, we try to take a closer look at why that is and what cultural changes need to happen in the workplace, be it in the office or on site, for real significant change to happen. I spoke with Dr. Mark McBride-Wright, Managing Director of Equal Engineers and Co-Founder and Chair of InterEngineering. Mark is a chartered chemical engineer specialising in health and safety and a recognised leader in diversity and inclusion in the engineering and construction industry. I also spoke with Fraser Steedman, electrical engineering student and business intern at Equal Engineers, about his experience of the industry so far and what he will be looking for in potential future employers once he graduates. Before we begin, please make sure to like and share the podcast and visit ecatoday.co.uk for more episodes. I'll start with you, Fraser. If you could please tell us a bit more about your path in the engineering sector so far and why did you choose electrical engineering? Well, I did engineering at school and sciences at school and I always found that really interesting. It was one of the things that I always like wanted to do, I think, when I was growing up through the years and then looked at all the different universities that were available and University of Strathclyde was the one that stood out for me for electrical engineering and I wanted to move away from home so it was in Glasgow instead of Dundee and then also Strathclyde is a big connection with industry and I always wanted to be in industry quickly not just study all the time because that was school I wanted to go into work so then they had the opportunities available to connect with industry and through a scholarship scheme I've been working every summer so I've been on placements experiencing engineer consultancy roles which have been really beneficial for me. So the engineering and also a bit more broadly the construction sector are uh, well known as being some of the least diverse in UK industry so we're going to explore perhaps why that is. What, what's been your experience of that? Would you say that's true? I think yes it's well, obviously, engineering is known as mainly male-orientated, and especially through thinking about my time studying, there's obviously not been many female engineers taking part, or people from minority ethnic backgrounds, or um, people from the LGBT community like myself. So it is harder to see that representation, or the like the that it is um, one type of person in engineering. Mark, uh, you, you were the, uh, the founder of uh, Equal Engineers, and Fraser, you work quite closely with equal engineers and there was um, the masculinity and engineering report that, that you spearheaded Mark um, and there were some quite interesting statistics in there mainly that uh, less than a third of engineers believe that the culture they work in is actually diverse uh, or inclusive can you expand on that a bit more please yeah sure um, so the reason we instigated that research um, a couple of years ago was if we just go back a bit to when we set equal engineers up um, originally it was aimed to have a strand by strand approach and when I say strand by strand I meant we would look at each specific demograph of diversity and have meaningful interventions for each one and going further back before that that stems from when I set up inter-engineering for LGBT engineers 
um, to connect and form and empower LGBT engineers and supporters. So I set that up whilst I was a practicing engineer in industry um, to build a community of people, of engineers, where you cannot see that diversity on the surface. And so that network grew. We have over a thousand uh, members now. We've got active regional groups um, across the, the United Kingdom. But bringing and companies started asking, can we recruit your LGBT engineers when we were in our infancy? So I saw an opportunity to step up a level in diversity and broaden out and create something to apply equal focus to each strand, hence the idea for equal engineers. Now, a year and a half into that journey, creating something that would be strand agnostic, um, but providing meaningful interventions on each strand, um, I realized that it was having shallow impact, that as an industry, it's important to have meaningful interventions for women, for LGBT+, Black, minority, ethnic, disabled people, etc. But it doesn't actually lead to impactful change within um, within business. The, 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 the typical male engineer was not connecting with diversity and inclusion strategies, even if an organisation had one. Some organisations don't even have them at all, and they're just meandering through their their corporate development without paying any attention to employee sentiment. So I was presenting on a panel at the Women in Construction and Engineering Awards in 2018, 350 people in the room at this judging day, and the panel was around engaging men in in, in diversity programmes. A key metric that um, gender balance women's networks tend to have is the number of male attendees at their networking events, etc. So I sort of controversially said, why don't we ask men? Why don't we shine the spotlight on men for a while and find out what the issues are? Why are they not turning up? Why are they not engaging? And I was expecting pushback, you know, saying something controversial. How dare you take the spotlight off of a, a cause when we've not got even got parity yet? However, what actually happened was the audience members started opening up about the experiences of their husbands, their sons, their fathers, etc, etc. And and the fact that existing policies and procedures meant that even though they may in their household want more equality, pay gaps, etc, etc, inequality and parental leave simply meant that they cannot have that or it's, you know, the man does go back to work rather than the, the woman, etc. So we've got this sort of inherited inequality from the status quo of the past currently in our industry infrastructure and that seeps through to the psyche and the mindset of the people now closely related to that and i'm building up to why i I commissioned the survey that year the office of national statistics published the um, death by suicide rate according to sector and construction and manufacturing had the highest um, male suicide rate on a sector breakdown and second to that was the process industries so the industry within which I am employed I was employed and so I think it was men were 3.7 times more likely to end their own life through suicide if they worked in that industry relative to, to other industries. So when you look at safety management, your ha- your gender, if you were male, was a bigger risk to yourself working on site than a typical hazard like a dropped object, falling from height, electrocution, etc. That is a stark, stark hazard. You know, that is a big number where the number of deaths through suicide was higher than some of the other safety incidents that we spend a lot of time in on honing in on and putting mechanisms in place to mitigate and prevent, etc. So what is it? What I thought was, what is it in inclusion supposed to be able to create a culture of belonging where people can open up about things going on in their mind you know, sharing problems, etc. Why why are men not being able to do that? 
if they're not engaging with the inclusion the purpose of inclusion then that's one of the reasons where we're we're tripping up on ineffective inclusion strategies so i wanted to get some of my own data so i wrote i, I pulled together a very handsome very comprehensive um, 50 question survey we um, deployed it through recruitment consultancies through a national campaign it was supposed to only be open for a month from world mental health day onwards but we extended it across three months from october to december 2018 and we got over we got 875 respondents um, conveniently from a pretty much a broad distribution across the main sectors of engineering. So chemical engineering, civil engineering, mechanical, electrical, etc. And there were three questions in that that stick out in my mind, the, the results of which I can roll off my tongue because they were so prominent. 75% of respondents answered yes to the question, have you ever experienced mental ill health issues? 18% of respondents answered yes to the question, have you ever lost a work colleague to suicide? I couldn't believe that one. And 21% of respondents answered yes to the question, have you ever had suicide, suicidal ideation or self-harmed yourself? And the prefer not to say response to that question was six and a half percent and if you look at a, a gender breakdown on that third question men were 3.5 times more likely to answer yes to the question on suicidal ideation so that to me was survey results that were sort of mirroring the national picture that the ONS were, were reporting in, in, in 2017 and it's still the case things haven't changed so that's why um, I, I commissioned that survey and I think to answer the question around why people feel people don't feel included or one in three engineers do not feel included in the sector which was another statistic from that report um, the report is freely available on our website on the equal engineers website i think the root cause is the fact that we're an industry that is um, steeped in tradition we tend to work in silos we're very analytical and when it comes to building trusting relationships between peers the culture's never really um, lended itself to that and i think what we're going through now is that that culture change over the next 5 10 15 years as we get you know the younger cohort coming through like fraser you know the future leaders of engineering organizations working alongside those that have been in the industry for 40 50 plus years that have got all the skills knowledge and experience that we need to pass on to the upcoming generation but if we're not connecting emotionally and having interpersonal conversations to foster closer closer relationships then is that knowledge and experience going to be passed on in the most efficient way i'm, I'm not so sure so that's why we need to focus in on culture and that's why we need to work with organizations like the ECA that have um, reach to, um, as a trade body, you've got reach to a lot of people who may work on their own or people who may work in small family businesses that are single digit units of employees or tens of units of employees or their contractors where, you know, employment security isn't always there because of, of the nature of contracts, etc. And it's this population that I feel, I think, can, um, be represented quite highly in some of the statistics around mental ill health and maybe where they don't feel connected to what diversity and inclusion is all about or don't know how to practice it in their in their respective business 
And uh, by the way, the full uh, masculinity and engineering report will be linked in the description of this podcast for for our listeners to to check out. So thank you, Mark. We have these uh, shocking statistics that paint a pretty bleak picture, but only part of the picture. There are lots of you know personal stories uh, behind those stats. I'll put this to both of you. Are there any uh, instances in your own personal experience at work where uh, you've experienced uh, prejudice? I'm not sure that there's been any specific points of prejudice in my time. I've obviously not been an engineer very long. I'm still studying. So I think little things like jokes or like phrases that people use they're not purposely targeting but they're they're there you know and you ignore you you acknowledge them and you don't want to make a fuss and say anything about it and that sort of is, is an experience that I have had and it's not like the end of the world personally but it is obviously something that needs to be changed so that engineering is more inclusive because these little things are possibly like stopping people from feeling included and, and making them move away if, they, if that sort of discussion of or types of languages being used. It's a, a, a culture thing then, would you say, a, a kind of a culture of, uh, let's say, banter or jokes in the workplace that perhaps aren't entirely appropriate? I think perhaps it's a culture thing. I think because engineering has been sort of the same, pe- like same sort of people, then you sort of get to form the same conversations and you have the same ideas and the same thoughts and you don't meet many people that are different to yourself. So if engineering becomes more inclusive, then you learn to understand what other people feel and think, and then you take that on to how you communicate in the future. Whereas if you are just with people who are similar to yourself, um, Mm -hmm. which is not a problem, but it can sort of block you from understanding how other people feel. There are a lot of employers out there who perhaps might like to have these conversations and break down barriers and create a more inclusive culture, but who wouldn't know where to start. If... Uh, someone in in the workplace, and, and the, this question goes to to both of you, uh, Mark and Fraser. What what does a, a great conversation look like to you? So if I can like link an answer to that with with the last question as well, I think um, in terms of like personal prejudice in the workplace that that I that I've gone through, I think it's important. I think we just need to remember that people are people and we don't be someone different when we come into work. We shouldn't be someone different when we come into work than when we walk through that door or when we arrive on campus or when we log in to the system in our remote van that that's our workplace as we drive around different customers or clients, etc. We need to make an active effort to get to know people on, on a deep level. And it's only when people are comfortable that if they um, have some sort of internal thing that's on their mind, if there's a comfort culture, if they can share that, that, that it can be shared. And so so you only will understand how people may be feeling, what they might be going through, if you make an effort to um, expand your horizon and diversify your own experiences. And you can absorb people's experiences by proxy through asking questions or, or listening to someone's story that where they've gone through perhaps some some sort of trauma or bereavement or whatever. So in terms of like me personally, where when I reflect back, so I'm 32, when I reflect back on when I came out and um, coming through my life, you know, even in my time, even in the short time that I've been on the planet so far, um, things have changed momentously for the LGBTQ plus community. So, I mean, I came out in 2003 when I was 15 um, to my to my parents. And, you know, if, 
legislative equality had only really been in place for around six years uh, or three three or six years, um, the repeal of Section 28, which um, is something, if your listeners aren't aware, that used to prohibit the promotion of homosexuality in schools. It was brought in by the Thatcher government in the 1980s and it was only taken out by the Labour, the new Labour government in 1997. Um, so the impact that that had on culture meant that very often you, you used to see very homophobic, biphobic and transphobic headlines in the newspapers. Um, I remember being in year three at school and Stephen Gately from Boyzone came out. Um, so this would have been 1995. And I remember um, the radio presenters um, just tormenting him essentially you know being things that you just would not say now on broadcast it just would not be accepted but growing up as a young person knowing that your identity is different you don't really know what it is but you know that you're different that compound compoundly impacts you when you do get to your teenage years and you're sort of thinking about your status in the world your connection to your family etc so when I did finally come out or I did open up to my parents you know that relationship with my dad was was really tested you know because he had used to use homophobic language my dad's a plumber heating engineer so he's part of the trades and he used to use words like poofter and faggot and stuff like that and that used to feel like a like a like a knife to the heart almost growing up because I knew what that meant and and I knew that I was that even though I hadn't accepted it to myself that that I was gay so coming out that was a layer of relief once I did but some people don't get to that point you know and and they internalize it and as they grow up it it, it can take you on a much darker path so I'm a much I'm a very big believer in sharing and talking about your issues because since then that was probably the biggest hurdle in my life that that I that I came over and I've become a lot stronger since being able to you know articulate who I am in terms of junctures with my education and just working in edu- being in education or being in in in, in the workplace in engineering um, when I did my PhD I I I studied at Imperial College um, I didn't know whether or not to accept my offer essentially for my PhD because it was sponsored by um, uh, Qatar Petroleum from the Middle East. So I was like, I just got engaged to my um, now husband. I just got engaged at the time and I was sort of wondering what what, what would happen if I had to go to the Middle East and, and, and did I, my supervisors, you know, I was already out at, at, at uni and that. So my supervisors knew, but I was able to share my concerns with them and they were able to, you know, um, encourage me to take up the spot um, and, and, you know, that I would, you know, nothing would ever, my safety would always come first, etc. So that was one moment where just because of who I am, I questioned an opportunity that lay before me um, and whether or not it was going to be suitable for me in the longer term. And then being being in the workplace, um, I still find there is, and I'm surprised, that sometimes this use of the word that's gay which I expect to hear more so in playgrounds, but I, I did, I remember being in a meeting once and someone did use it um, and it, it really threw me off. I was chairing the meeting at the time. I confronted the individual afterwards and said, look, that that harks back to homophobic bullying for me at school. I really don't like it. Please don't use it. You don't know the impact that you might be having on someone around you if you say that when you're on the train or on the bus and 15-year-old Mark, who was questioning their sexual orientation, is sat next to you 
when you use an identifier that demarks who they are as something negative and to be ashamed of, that's not good for the mental health of the population. So we need to be conscious of the impact that words and language have around us, which is why I always advocate for getting curious about an identity that you're not. Um, challenging banter in the workplace isn't about stripping fun and making everything politically correct in the workplace. What I do find in my own experience working with a lot of male majority engineer teams is that there's this weird sort of um, hyper masculine culture that seems to become so pervasive when a bunch of men get together. But when you get them individually, they're more comfortable being emotional, sharing a bit about themselves. But as a collective, that that dominant culture isn't there. And so we need to sort of get comfortable, get people being comfortable sharing and opening up to or challenging as well in real time when they see something being said that may be impacting someone um, to, to really stamp it out and, and, and draw it out. Do you want to make creating risk assessments easier and more effective? ERAMS is ECA's online risk assessment and method statement tool that allows any type of contractor to create, amend, store and print general activity-based risk assessments and method statements. ERAMS is free to ECA members and very competitively priced to other businesses. Find out more at eca.co.uk forward slash ERAMS. That's eca.co.uk forward slash ERAMS. I mean, obviously, uh, the benefits of being more open and inclusive in the workplace are very obvious for uh, employees. But also, uh, we can't deny that uh, research has shown that the benefits to a business's bottom line improve as well when uh, employees can feel uh, like they can be themselves at work. They're more productive, more creative, more willing to work as a team. Mark, you touched on quite a few points there, one of which was engineering culture and perhaps a macho culture in engineering. If an employer spot instances of macho culture perhaps getting out of hand in their workforce, what practical steps can they take? So there are there are numerous steps that, that, that can be taken um, and it really depends on the context of the, the, the culture. Of, it depends on, well, to, to your question directly, it really depends on what, in that example, what's being said, what's being done. You know, you could take numerous different approaches from a leadership-led approach where you invoke your zero tolerance stance to live by your values, which you should be clearly articulating day in, day out, visible on your branding, visible within the the, the, the team so they can reel off what the company stands for um, and say that, you know, those behaviours that the individuals are, are, are showcasing are not in compliance or in accordance with the values of the company. Of course, coming from that perspective, people don't like being told off and um, it, that might be using a sledgehammer to, to crack a walnut for, for, for an, want of an analogy. So you have to sort of almost look at the culture of your business in general and think about how you can create small meaningful changes to, to challenge that. Um, so through education is one way to combat any prejudices that may be showing within the workplace, you know, getting people to come in, share their stories, um, get a speaker to come in, share their story if they're from a particular group, 
um, or even doing like a facilitated discussion with the team in question to get them to, so in a non-threatening way, get them to think about the, the impact of their their language and their behaviours. That's actually something that we've been doing through our engineering a winning workforce, engaging the majority training session. Um, typical unconscious bias training just educates on you know how you're wired and gives a couple of suggestions on how to overcome that but what 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 we've done is created a package created a product that um facilitates that discussion in a small group in a non-threatening way where the starting point is around educating on the context of diversity inclusion and using the statistics that i've mentioned at the beginning to to really bring men into the conversation to say look you're part of this you are negatively and disproportionately being affected by a non-inclusive culture otherwise we wouldn't have all these rates why is that what's your diversity story what's your difference oh and guess what some people face inequity or underprivilege more than others and that's when you bring in you dovetail in the experiences of lgbtq plus black minority ethnic people um, women in the workplace, people with disabilities. And uh, Fraser, you're, you're coming towards the end of your studies in electrical engineering. You'll be very soon going into the workplace, albeit at a slightly strange time. Uh, what does the ideal employer look like to you? What, what will you be looking for in an employer when you're, you're out there applying for jobs? Well, I suppose initially for me, it was just that they had the occupations that were interesting to me and the, like, and the roles that were suitable for my degree. And then after coming out and experiencing the work they've been doing with Mark and Equal Engineers, I've realised that an inclusive culture or even the discussion about inclusivity, having employee networks for different groups is actually a benefit that I hadn't considered before for, for a future employer. You know, these sort of things that I hadn't really considered as part of my life in, as an engineer, but I realise it's now important to include those aspects of my life in my role as an engineer because that's who I am. So having an employer that provides those sort of inclusive cultures and they recognise that change needs to be made in the industry, then that is a, a positive thing that I would want to consider in an employer because they are ensuring that when I come into the business that I'm, I'm welcome and included and, and I'm valued not just because of my skill as an engineer but because of the, how individual I am. We want we need to get to a point in engineering where we create parity of esteem between physical safety and mental health, psychological safety. A lot of your members, listeners here will, I assume, be very, very, very familiar with all the safety requirements, the stringent safety requirements that quite rightly are in place for working with electricity, working on site, you know, ensuring that what's installed or what's been um, modified or maintained is safe for use here on in into our into our into our structure's life. Um, that that stringency, if that's a word, um, should be applied to um, mental health and well-being. So, you know, building psychological safety in teams, encouraging people to look out between one another for changes in behaviour that could be indicative of any underlying cause. Right now, there. Um, Mental Health First Aid England have a target to train at one in 10 of the adult population in mental health first aid. The figure currently is at one in 70. One in 70 people are trained up in, in mental health first aid. So it's my view that we're working on a partnership with them and can, can we try and use the reach that workplaces have to um, 
get there quicker with that statistic, with, with getting to that one in 10 adults trained up in mental health first aid, so is that we have, coming back to what I said, parity of esteem equivalency placed between physical first aid and mental health. Throughout the podcast, we've uh, mentioned different um, resources out there, different uh, training resources, research. Uh, Mark, where can listeners go to uh, find out more? Yeah, so we um, we have uh, lots of resources available on the Equal Engineers website. Um, we have partnership programs where people can, can support, join up and have direct support if they need direct support on culture change. Um, but on our, we have we've recently launched an online training academy where we are we recognise the challenges that exist with a dispersed workforce in getting people all in the room together to do training at the same time. So we are developing um, a whole set of courses that can be accessed on demand remotely um, on that are engineering tailored for engineering specific on diversity and inclusion. So we've been looking at things like unconscious bias, inclusive recruitment, creating inclusive cultures. Um, so we essentially that's our solution to help education um, and we've got free you know lots of other free resources on the website as well where you can just go to the site read reports like the masculinity and engineering report to be inspired by some actions you might be able to take we've um, just onboarded um, 25 student ambassadors from 14 UK universities who um, will become advocates for diversity and inclusion, so reading about their stories. We um, also founded the Engineering Talent Awards in 2020. We had over 150 entries to that and we'll be announcing the winners shortly. So reading up on the stories behind the people and the organisations who've won those awards. Um, we've got case studies on the website of clients that we've supported on how they've um, gone through and, and you know enabled change within their business. And we also um, are, are, have a, a podcast uh, series where we've um, filmed at events stories of people that we've showcased in the past and put them up on our site for, for people to listen to and um, absorb. And thanks once again to Mark and Fraser for their time and for sharing their experiences with me on the podcast. To find out more about Equal Engineers and the training, consultancy and awards they offer, visit equalengineers.com. Thank you for listening to the ECA podcast. To continue the conversation or ask questions which may feature in the future podcast episodes, send your comments and ideas to podcast at eca.co.uk. Until the next episode, visit www.eca.co.uk where you can learn more about ECA and the services our team provides. That's www.eca.co.uk.